Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Toby. We're the co-founders of Ask Us For Ideas, where we help the world's most ambitious businesses, large or small, new or established, to connect with a collection of the best and most exciting creative agencies from around the world. Being at the intersection of these brands and creative teams for the best part of a decade has allowed us to get to know some truly exceptional people. This podcast, Private Views, aims to shine a light on that. In this episode, we meet Umar El Babli, co-founder and co-CEO of Faculty, a brand centred on the premise that masculine grooming needed its walls torn down. Launching with a line of nail polishes, it was quick to attract attention, raising $3 million in seed funding in 2021, led by Estee Lauder. Also remarkable is Umar himself. Faculty is his first venture since graduating from the Ivy Business School at Western University. I think the best thing that you can do as a founder or even an artist or any sort of way, if you're creating something, is listen to those around you because a lot of the advice is very, very good. But the, the most difficult part is having a strong filtration process. Faculty has collaborated with some top creatives, including Sundays and Playlab Inc., producing a fresh, multi-dimensional brand that matches its game-changing proposition. For our client-focused episodes, we've invited long-term friend of Alfie, Max Luthi, into the conversation. He's a founder himself of a soon-to-launch brand called Plink that's set to revolutionise the soft drinks industry. A space to watch for sure, and we're amazingly grateful for his involvement in this episode and future editions. Max spoke with Umar about the lessons he's learned about being a founder, how to take advice and find the right collaborators, and what a newfound love of rock climbing has taught him about his brand. The work that I do is, is, uh, has always just kind of been a, a really big part of me as a person. Like I kind of can't really separate like my personality and me as an individual with like the work that I do. Um, you know, whatever I did, whatever it was going to be, it had to be something that was really special. It had to be something that would come from the heart and it had to be something that I could see myself doing forever. So I literally sat down in a breakout room at school and I wrote down like, what am I good at? What do I like to do? And what am I bad at? Um, and oh, nice. That's like a, t- a twist on the, I think there's like a Japanese word for, for doing for something similar where it's, what do you, what are you good at? Uh, what do you enjoy? What does the world need? And what will people pay you to do? Um, I like that you included what am I bad at though. Yeah. <laughs> a, nice, a nice twist on it. And, and, and some of the, the things that I was bad at, like some of them, I just kind of, there, there was many things that were bad that I would like note, like I'm bad and I also don't like to do this and that's okay. And then I would be like, I'm bad at this, but I actually think it's something that I can improve on and should and will if I want to be successful in any sort of part of my life. So for example, I'm like quite a disorganized person um, and that's okay, but that's something that I actually really want to work on versus like I'm bad at doing uh, just kind of like very tedious tasks. So I probably shouldn't be in any sort of role that is very replicable. I need something that is like very highly stimulating, big picture, new things every day, always changing. So that's just an example of, yeah. Um, And then like, I just kind of like took a step back and I was like, okay, so I kind of figured out like what, what I'm good at, what I like to do and what I'm bad at. And it triangulated on a base skill set that you would see in a lot of like really strong entrepreneurs. Um, 
And so I was like, okay, well, this is what I came to school to do. Like, why am I not doing this? And so I didn't really know what to do with that, but it kind of like re-anchored why I went to business school and what I wanted to do with my life. And then uh, it helped me kind of like reframe what I was doing with like my interviews and school and, and, and what I thought the next few years of my life could have been. And when did you and Fenton connect, your co-founder? And So he, me and my co-founder, Fenton, uh, he was working at Monitor Deloitte slash Doblin at the time when we met. And he was actually quite pivotal in empowering me to, to take my little concept of the early stages of faculty into, into life. Um, I had the concept. It was kind of just like very napkin. I wanted to start a cosmetics company that would target mask identifying individuals with the hopes of revolutionizing how we define beauty and fashion and, and cosmetics. <clears throat> that was pretty much it. Um, there was a lot more to it and there was a story and, um, he resonated with that story when we first met, which was actually an interview. Um, I was interviewing for the firm because I was uncertain about the idea and I, I had a few ideas kind of in my head at the time. I didn't know what I could do. I didn't even know how to start them. I didn't know, like, did I need to raise money for them? So I had no clear direction. I just had a bunch of ideas in my head. And he was like, you have some really strong ideas. I really like the one about, you know, mask identifying individuals wearing makeup. It resonates a lot with me. Don't sell your soul and go into management consulting because you'd be missing out um, on, a, on a massive opportunity. And he kind of sold me this whole story of if you're going to take a massive risk, you might as well do it now while you're young. Um, and, and so I did. Um, I brought him on as my advisor at the time. And, and then... Uh, a few months later, when I had raised my first round of financing and, and was starting to raise my second, I brought him on as my full-time co-founder, and I sold that same vision back to him. I was like, you're in management consulting. You sold me this vision. You strongly it. believe in me and the company. Why don't you leave management consulting and join me? Um, and that was that was quite an easy sell because he had already sold it to me before. I love it, man. I, I genuinely, it, it's, yeah, the, the magnetism of a strong idea. Uh, and when you, when you see it, pull someone in is, is incredibly satisfying. I love the fact that your idea, he used your idea to convince you. I mean, it's, yeah, I absolutely love it. But then it, it gets so hard, obviously, once you have that incredibly exciting, you know, mission-oriented concept, like bringing that idea to life, it uh, turns out, as I'm finding out, it's very hard, right? It's incredibly fucking hard. So how much has the idea of faculty changed in execution from how you conceived it from that kind of back of the napkin idea? I think uh, in terms of product and overarching vision, nothing has changed at all. We may have adjusted the product roadmap to... Um, certain cues that we saw in, in culture and society and some products maybe became more relevant quicker than others or just economically, for example, it made more sense to, to launch with a nail polish, which was very affordable on our end versus um, a concealer, which was very capital intensive. And that was kind of like a response to COVID, but also cultural cues from the people um, you know, the, the Harry Styles of the world, the ASAP Rockies, the Timothy Chalamets, 
<clears throat> um, the little Nas X's that we saw uh, really, <laughs> pun intended, really dipping their hands and nails into nail polish um, nice. at, at a time where we were putting together some sort of launch to then go raise a more proper round of financing to, to bring faculty to the world. Um, but really the only part that has like instrumentally changed and I don't even want to say changed, uh, more so just evolved was the, the brand identity and how we told the story. It just became a lot more flushed out as I got to work with, um, incredible, uh, creatives who I still work with every single day. Um, I think what, what they did best was listened and, uh, just flushed out the the napkin idea into something that was very tangible um, and was very uh, authentically me and what I wanted to tell. I just didn't really necessarily know how to communicate it. And I'm not a graphic designer. So, um, you know, I I chose to work with the best to do that. Yeah. Let's talk, let's dive into that. I mean, you have a, as soon as you go to faculty.world, you just, you get it. It's, it hits you immediately. It's fresh. It's, like it's emotive um it's you know they did an incredible job and you've done an incredible job talk to me about how you found your partner there is so much incredible talent out there today i feel like it's just it's just like a plethora of like beautiful minds in all over the world you know uh, creating beautiful brands and how did you find the right partner how did you know you'd found the right partner yeah uh, before I got to the step that helped me find the right partner. I had already done like a very deep dive into pretty much every creative agency that I could find in the US and even some in the UK. Like I'm a huge fan of Made Thought. I would love to work with them personally um, eventually. Um, but nothing, none of them really clicked. Like I was, I was looking for someone to uh, listen to the vision that I had and, and articulate it back to me in in a way that was like very authentic and, and true to the roots. Um, but also had a, a very like stylistic approach that was already aligned with what I was looking for and what was in my head. Um, and I just didn't really think anything was, was, was proper or well suited. I felt I kind of had this like really strong hypothesis or opinion that everything was just turning into what Jin Lane had built for many brands and, and Jin Lane, you know, has done an incredible job. I think, uh, they were for millennials, the best brand builders, um, out there. And there, there's a reason they've had astronomical success all thanks to, uh, the homie Emmett, as you, as you echoed earlier. Um, so props to them, but in a way, you know, they created the the millennial brand. And I don't really like thinking about demographics as as categorized as millennial or Gen Z. I think more of like the psychographic um, when I say this. So so if, if Jin Lane was the developer of millennial brands as psychographic, what I was looking for was the the Gen Z developer as a psychographic for the next up and coming brands. Let's say, let's just say D to C brands 2.0 or 3.0, whatever you want to call it, depends on who you ask. Um, and I hadn't found it yet until I met, um, ask us for ideas. And they introduced me to, uh, four firms. Um, there was a few others that, 
were possible conversations, but um, one of the firms they introduced me to was Some Days. And uh, even before I got on a call with them, I had a sense that they were going to be the one based on how they design and, and the, 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 stylistic, the stylistic approach that they took. And so I was already going into that call very excited. And I think it was the first of the four that I had of those intros. And I remember me and Steve, the creative director of the, of the agency, we instantly clicked. Um, and in my heart, I knew they were going to be the ones, but I still wanted to go to the, through the process with the other agencies because they're all incredible, um, just really brilliant teams who have done amazing work. You mentioned um, Harry Styles you know, Harry Styles and there's this sort of, uh, this isn't obviously a celebrity uh, gossip podcast, but there's this sort of Billy Porter saying, oh, Vogue put Harry on the cover and they're giving, you know, a straight white man credit for taking on masculinity, etc. And I've been doing it and other people have been doing it for years. Um, one of the things that I wonder is, you know, you're in such a, you're in a space where like really being part of culture and being in tune with these cultural moments is, as you said, you've already reacted to with your product decision um, and, you know, the sort of release order and your pipeline. But one of the things that I'm kind of getting frustrated with as a founder is I used to be in the world of trends, et cetera, where I could essentially track cultural changes and, you know, I could change, I could change a, my deck on the train to the client or on the plane or whatever. Um, and when you have a product that takes, you know, say several years to develop, it's it's really hard to stay like to square those two timelines like the physical objects timeline and the you know kind of culture uh digital media timeline how do you do you ever feel kind of pulled apart by horses between the two things or how do you how do what's your advice for me there yeah i mean i think it's i think it's really difficult i think um like the analogy that immediately comes to mind is let's take the Harry Styles example for a minute, um, which I have my own opinions about, which I can get to if you want to hear. Um, but you know, he's, he has a vision for what his identity wants to be like. And, and society is going to have many, many different opinions about it. And the only thing that he can really do is kind of just stick to his roots and be who he thinks he is and project that into the world. Um, and so that's what we try to do as a company is there, there's so much noise on social media and in the media in general is you really just have to like anchor yourselves in why are you doing what you do um, and never forget that. I think that's, and, and it's, it's, so, it's just kind of like basic words of wisdom but it's a lot more difficult when you have, um, you know, audiences telling you what you think you should do. And there's similar conversations around like going on and raising money and you pitch to a hundred investors and every single one of them is going to have in their head what they believe is the best way to start the business. I think the best thing that you can do as a founder or, or even an artist or any sort of way, if you're creating something is uh, listen to those around you because a lot of the advice is is um, very very good. But the the most difficult part is having a strong filtration process where you can objectively take all the advice that you have around you, 
think about what actually works with your vision. Maybe you want to apply those things, maybe you don't, and that's totally okay. Um, but you have to kind of like stay authentic to, to the vision that you want to bring to the world and just don't lose sight of that. It's, it's, it's so much harder to do in practice, but that's all that we've done. We, we, we have uh, a meeting every single Monday where we, um, we kind of do a dive into who, who our customers are and what they look like. And I think that kind of like re-anchors what we're doing to us as a team. Um, and, and we're not geniuses for coming up with that. We stole it from our friends who are founders at Starface. Um, but it kind of just like brings back the vision to us and it re-anchors us in our vision every single time we have the meeting and we learn a lot from it. Um, so that's what we want to do. So we spoke feels like maybe a year ago and you were very generous with your time. And, um, I have to say one of the, one of the highlights of starting a company for me has been, and I, I didn't do it when I was young and had nothing to lose. I'm in my mid thirties and have three kids, <laughs> but, uh, is how generous like fellow founders like yourselves or, you know, uh, Brian from Starface and people will hop on a call and, and, you know, be an open book. Um, that's been amazing. So, I would ask you, um, who, who has been like supportive to you and, and provided that mentorship for you, uh, in your early days, whether it's investors, fellow founders, you know, who's, who's opened up? Yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm lucky to have a good group of people around me that is generally very open and always willing to help out. So, um, that's like a good base and foundation for me. Um, just generally, uh, I think there, there's a good culture within the founder community and we all recognize that what we're doing is a bit crazy. Um, and we understand all the tropes, but also all the, the, the downfalls and challenges of doing what we do. So that seems to just like instantly connect us. And I think when I do go out and have a chat with a founder, um, let's use Brian as an example from Starface. The first conversation we had, was just like, let's get into the weeds of all the challenges that we have. And I want to learn from you, Brian, because you have so much experience and the conversations get really intimate, like really, really fast. And it's just from empathizing with each other's situation. Brian has been a very good mentor to me. Um, Archie Lee Coates at Playlab Inc. Um, has been another of mine. Um, he's probably one of the most seasoned creatives I have ever had the pleasure of working with. And it's truly a privilege that I even can be in his circle, um, given his, his, his resume and, 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 and versus my resume. Um, but people like him and, uh, Steve, of course, at some days, even the, the ask us for ideas team, these are kind of individuals that, um, I can give a call at 2 a.m. any day and they will pick up and and provide advice and be my confidants and advisors and friends, most importantly, at the end of the day. Um, so I'd, I'd have to kind of tip my hat off to, to those individuals. But really, it's it's more so a collective effort between the, the circle that I have around me or some individual may, may have more experience with one issue that I'm having and another may have another. So pulling all that wisdom together is what keeps me sane at the end of the day and rock climbing as you may see on my Instagram. Um, but, uh, it's not just like one or a few people. It's just a collective effort. And I'm very privileged to have the people I have around me. If you don't uh, mind, I can even digress on how this relates to faculty. Cause there's been a lot 
that we've learned through climbing. I would love to hear you talk about how climbing relates to faculty. So it, it sounds crazy, but for whatever reason, um, culturally, we have seen like quite a high correlation between people who do rock climb and who wear a nail polish, regardless of how you identify or where you end up on the spectrum, um, which is amazing. So we see like a lot of, you know, mass identifying individuals wearing nail polish at the gym and I have conversations with them. And they, this is how I even met, uh, this is how I had my first like organic customer encounter. I was at a climbing gym. Um, this was Vox West. So also part of LLC in London and I was wearing nail polish and one of the employees was wearing nail polish. And I, I walked up to him and I was like, I like your nails. And he looked at mine and he was like, I like your nails as well. And I was like, yeah, I'm starting a brand here. Uh, we're going to be, I'm starting a brand. We're going to be launching in the UK. Um, happy to hook you up with polish if you're interested. And he was like, oh, faculty. And I, I was just like, what? It was the first encounter I've ever had of anything like this. And it was incredible. And so we ended up like talking for like 30 minutes and he gave me some advice and we incorporated it. Um, and then kind of built a relationship. And then it got to in the conversation, like, how did you hear about that? And it came through another employee at the gym who had found faculty, which was, it was just crazy how like we, we do nothing to date uh, anyways um, in London at all, but somehow these people found our brand. It was just an incredible encounter. And just like, if you walk around rock climbing gyms, you'll see a lot of guys wearing nail polish and it's really cool. So yeah. we, we actually took that as, as some insight. And uh, I can't give up too much, but um, chances are you will see rock climbing either in the faculty brand identity, or we may do a product, or we may even do, hint, hint, we may even build our own rock climbing. Uh, it wouldn't be a center, but we're thinking of doing like an outdoor rock for people to climb on in New York and we'll be giving out free nail polish and yada, yada, yada. Oh my God, my, my. Just bringing my, uh, two like-minded communities together, essentially. Um, I love it. Through a very social thing. You should see wink, wink, si wink, wink. Yeah, you should see the size of the, sm the smile on my face. That's, I just love it, man. I love how natural and, and real that is. And yeah, that is an, an, that's an incredible story. Do you, and you're in London right now, right? You said we don't do much in London, but you're bumping into customers in London at, at your climbing gym. So let's talk about global, global, uh, let's, let's go global. Like how, you know, how does it feel to build a brand in 2021 where you can, you know, think of it in business school in Canada and kind of move to the U S and then move to the UK and yeah. I think it, I think it makes it a lot more real, like, you know, in the, in the age of having the internet, you're, you may be selling a product in the U S for example, that's where products are, have been sold thus far. Our soft launch was, um, but that doesn't mean people are not listening around the world. And I think that's really important while you're building your brand and while you're communicating, um, with, with followers and, and people who come in and, and find you on Instagram or whatever it may be, any sort of random outlet or word of mouth is you kind of have to build like understanding that. Otherwise you're just going to start alienating certain groups and that's terrible as a brand. Um, 
you're also just kind of like knocking out future opportunities. So we are not like building faculty necessarily as a U.S. brand. We do have a lot of inspiration that comes from certain, uh, you know, borrows within the U.S., whether it may be Williamsburg or um, Lafayette. There are certain regions, but, you know, we we'll also pull inspiration from certain music groups in Korea. And we also pull inspiration from the, the street culture here in London. Uh, that's just our take because we want to build a brand that is global and, and, and personally and as a company, our job is not done unless we are global. Just because this is like such a, what we're tackling anyways is, it's like, it's not just the US for obvious reasons that has issues with masculinity. It is probably every individual on the planet has their own story and interpretation that could be flushed out in a better manner, in a more positive manner that just creates for better humanity. So if we're building for humans, why would someone build a brand that is only for the US? It just doesn't make sense when inevitably people around the world are going to you know, touch and, 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 and see what you are building. You mentioned demographics earlier and how you try not to think of them. And, and you know, we used at, when I worked at Trendwatching, we read a report called Post-Demographic Consumerism, and I fully believe in it. Um, however, like, I would agree that or I would, I would say that some of the values you stand for in terms of thoughts around gender and also, you know, people feeling connected to uh, people in Korea or in New York, no matter where they're from, you know, those are, those are characteristics of sort of Gen Z um, or you, at least younger people today, right? And um, do you feel that as Gen Z grows up, it will change faculty will faculty age because it feels like a young brand and i don't mean that in like a i certainly don't mean that in a derogatory way i mean that in a in actually a really complimentary way it feels like an open-minded self-expressive brand yeah i but. think uh that's a good question um <clears throat> my hope is that the the positive change that gen z has been able to create and um broadcast to the masses you know, that is not something that should change. We should have a more inclusive world. That may feel young or youthful, but if you think about that, like there's actually a lot there uh, that you can like pull apart and, and get to the root cause of the issue. Like, I agree with you, like Gen Z and millennials may have different values. Um, they do have different values. It doesn't really come down to their age, but it just comes down to, to values that have evolved through passing down generations. And then finally it clicks, for example, with Gen Z. Um, and hopefully that is the change going forward, right? So if that's true, it's kind of like if you were to think about openness and acceptedness and, and, and gender equality as a trend, which you would never, you would never want that thing to, to not stop, right? So if... If, you know, Gen Z is going to take this and, 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 and continue being them and, and being very individualistic and self-expressive um, and, and caring about community, etc. All, all the very positive things that they have brought to light. If that is true for the rest of the generations, uh, I think it will start to feel less youthful and it'll just start to feel more human, which at the end of the day, that is what it is. So that is never going to change about faculty. That is just, that is the, the core hypothesis and thesis and, and the why of what we do. Um, so it may evolve, but that's who we are at the end of the day.
So that's never going to change. But I think for the audience, it will become less useful as it just becomes part of the everyday life. That was Max Luthi speaking to Umar El-Babli, co-founder and co-CEO of Faculty. A big thank you from myself, Nick and Toby for listening. Thank you also to Umar, to David Michon for producing, to Sean Crook for editing this episode, and to George Grinling for the theme music. To find other episodes, search for Private Views wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Alfie, please visit our website, aufi.com. We're also on social media channels using the handle Ask Us for Ideas. And finally, please do share and rate this episode and subscribe to Private Views so you'll be the first to know when new episodes drop. Until next time.